Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. This episode is recorded on Thursday, June 14th, 2018, uh, starting at 4.11 p.m. in Denver, Colorado, and this is the 160th episode of the show. For more information about how to subscribe to the podcast and help support the production of future episodes by becoming a patron, please visit theastrologypodcast.com slash subscribe. In this episode, I'm going to be talking with Austin Kopic, Kelly Surtees, and Spencer Michaud, and we're going to be doing a recap of the United Astrology Conference now that the event is finally over and we've had a little bit of a chance to recover and process our thoughts about the conference over the past couple of weeks. So, hey guys, thanks for joining me today. Hey, Chris. How's it going, Chris? Hey, guys. Happy to be here. Hey, and Spencer, welcome. Your first time on the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, it's a long time listener, first time caller. Yes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. indeed. All right. Uh, so, so Spencer, first, since this is your first time, I wanted to introduce you. You are somebody that we all just met at the conference because this was your very first astrology conference that you ever attended, right? Yes, first ever. Okay. So you've been studying astrology for, for a number of years and you, you give consultations. And where are you from again? I'm from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, yeah. And I've been studying astrology for about 15 years or so and got really turned on to the traditional track um, by listening to your podcast and, and uh, with Demetra George's book, uh, Astrology and the Authentic Self. Um, her book led me to you and then you led me to AFAN and AFAN led me to, to UAC and here we are. Quite a journey. Sure. So, so you're one of the people that listened to the the episode. I think I did with Ryan Butler and Joe Gleason last year, where I told everyone that there were conference scholarships and that pe- not as many people apply for them as you think, basically. And you ended up applying and then winning one, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I listened to that podcast, and that got the wheels spinning and saying, "Well, you know, maybe it's a possibility that I could actually make it out to one of these." And um, you know, you never know until you try. So I threw my hat into the ring and. Was very blessed to to have won the scholarship and got to meet all of you and had kind of a peak experience. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, so, uh, first, uh, Kelly and Austin, have you guys had a chance to to recover at this point? What are we like two weeks out? Yes, is yes. the answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so a lot of sleep was required uh, in the first week home. That's for sure. Yeah, I slept. I think the the five days following. I think it was like twelve hours, twelve hours, nine hours, twelve hours, ten hours. Yeah, that's a lot. There was a like there was some bodily uh, exhaustion, but there was also there was just so much to process. I felt like I was thinking through UAC pretty much every night in my dreams. <laughs> Yeah, what is it? I always forget until I get there that there's on the one hand this like extreme physical endurance component because everybody is torn between on the one hand, you know, wanting to stay up really late talking to friends and meeting people and like staying up late in the bar until two and three in the morning, but then on the other hand, wanting to get up early or or sometimes having to get up early for lectures and the whole educational component of the conference itself so that you just progressively throughout the course of the week are getting less and less sleep and, and more and more tired. Absolutely. I mean, from, from my experience, there was, I averaged about four to five hours of sleep and mostly because I just wanted to have conversations with people. You know, you, you'd get drawn into a conversation at the, in the lobby and it'd be very hard to, to tear yourself away. You know, I mean, that was kind of the the meeting place, you know, the town square, basically. 
Yeah, I remember having to like tell you to to leave like a few times towards the end <laughs> yeah. of the conference. We were, you were looking a bit tired, but you didn't want to leave the bar at that time at night. Well, and I commuted in too. Like I stayed with my mom out in the suburbs, so I was taking the train and eventually got got wise and drove in. Um, but that made it a lot easier. But yeah, I didn't want to leave. I was just meeting one one amazing mind right after another. You know, you know, one genius right to the next, and you'd try to leave, and you'd get sucked into another mind-blowing conversation. Um, and it's a really beautiful thing to be able to speak that shared language with people. I think that that was something that I really took away from my experience there, um, was just being able to, you know, not have to censor yourself, you know? It was just kind of a, an easy flow with people. Um, but yeah, sleep was the lowest pr- priority on the, on the totem pole there. Sure. And and Kelly, you actually went back to work like right away as soon as you got done with the conference, right? Yeah, I just thought, you know, Chicago is quite close to where I live uh, in Toronto, just outside Toronto, like a 45-minute flight. So I'm like, there's going to be no jet lag. So I just, you know, hit the ground running the next day, completely forgetting what an absolute marathon an astrology conference is physically, but also emotionally and energetically. Because like you were saying, Austin, you were just like processing it all in your dreams you're just taking in so much info at different levels, like intellectually, energetically, intuitively, emotionally. I mean, and it is, it's like, I heard so many wonderful descriptions of the conference on social media. Somebody said it's like, you know, camp for astrologers kind of thing. And you do want to soak up all that in-person experience, but there is a lot going on. And uh, yeah, I, I should have definitely given myself a few days. You know, now that it's been two weeks and I've sort of settled in, I actually had the whole weekend off last weekend, which is the first time I've done that all year, which is just a clue as to, you know, the insanity of fabulousness that's been going on this year. And I was like, oh, now I can kind of process everything because you need that space. You can't take in new stuff when you're trying to integrate recent stuff. And uh, there was definitely a lot to integrate afterwards. Yeah, definitely. Um all right. Well, and and to get into some of the specifics, so the conference, of course, the United Astrology Conference, I've talked about it. I feel like I've talked about it so much over the past year or two in the build up to it. But just for those that don't know or, or tuning in for the first time, this was the United Astrology Conference, which took place uh, in downtown Chicago. From The dates are basically, if you include the pre and post conference events, were basically May 23rd through the 30th, 2018. And UAC is unique, of course, because even though each of the individual astrology organizations will host a conference every few years, uh, the United Astrology Conference or UAC is unique because it's when all of the major astrological organizations in North America pool their resources and host one big uh, mega conference. And I think in the end, that conference, the, the, the organizers said that the number of attendees was somewhere around 1,400 or 1,500 astrologers ended up attending the conference during the course of the weekend when you include all of the speakers and uh, vendors and the trade show and other things like that. So that's a that's a lot of astrologers in in one place. It's so many. It's it's almost impossible to fully understand what that feels like without going. And that that was kind of where my comment months ago, I think when we were talking about UAC around you know, like beg, borrow or steal, but get there however you can, because that feeling of like, there are so many people that speak the same language where you have, as you were saying, Spencer, that ease and that sense of, oh, these people are just on my wavelength. It's phenomenal to experience that with so many people all at once. 
Yeah, yeah. If anything, one of the things that was frustrating is there were so many people that there was a bunch of people I I never got a chance to connect with or like didn't even see and only realized in retrospect after the conference was over that they were there and I, I never connected with them. Yeah, I had the same thing and I was feeling guilty about it. Um, right. I was like, oh, I really should have made time to hang out with Sam or Michael Luton or people I wanted to hang out with and I was going to, but I didn't. But then I saw online everybody had that experience. Yeah. Right. And so I felt it was less a personal failing and, and more a feature. It w- And it was a feature of the size, I think, because you kind of got caught into these weird little loops or wormholes that if you were going to see these few people, you end up kind of rolling with this particular crew. Or if you were all in the lobby after 10 o'clock at night, you were going to be hanging out with the certain same people. And so then those people became the micro conference for you. And Mm -hmm. that's what made it so unique is that everybody had these little micro groups. And uh, I felt the same, Austin. I was like, oh, I didn't see. I mean, I tried to see Sam. He was very hard to pin down. Uh, but he had a lot of stuff going on. And I think people that were heavily involved with different orgs also had a lot of commitments through the conference as well. So, uh, Yeah, well, uh, and another feature of that is um, some for people who are more visible like Chris, like Chris, we barely talked at the conference. We would sit down like two feet away from each other and like, hey, let's check in. And then we would just kind of end up in separate conversations with four or five people, you know, within, uh, within 10 feet. But uh, that kept happening. That was, that was funny. I try to talk to you and then eight other people would try to talk to you at the same time. Right. Well, yeah. And there's but I was, so many I people. was generous. I shared you with people because I get more <laughs> of you than most of them. Yeah, I do. I do appreciate that. I mean, yeah, that was, and this is our first time, you know, because this is our first time having done the podcast and attending a UAC because I actually started this podcast, the Astrology Podcast, after the last United Astrology Conference, which is in 2012. So this is our first time, I think, even you know, for all three of us going to a conference of that magnitude and then having so many people that listen to the podcast on a regular basis coming up to us, having the podcast event that we hosted and everything else. So that was, that was pretty intense. I had uh, one, I had many uh, weird and fun experiences, but there was, there was one moment where I was waiting for an elevator um, with two women whose names I don't recall right now. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I, I said something, I don't know, like, boy, these elevators take a long time. They're like, oh, you're Austin. They yeah. recognize me by my voice, but the not voice. My, my appearance. And right. that's, certainly, that, that's certainly a feature of the podcast. <laughs> oh, you guys were the rock stars, you know? Like, I, I think that was one of the advantages I had uh, that helped my experiences. I came... The first day I came early. So before like the throngs of people could descend on their hero, their podcast heroes, like I got to, you know, speak with Chris and Lisa and, and meet and start to make connections before, you know, everyone's attention was pulled in a lot of different directions. And I think that was a really, um, that was a cool experience as well. Right. You did a number of pre and pre pre like conference workshops so that you actually got to start meeting people pretty early before everybody showed up to the conference? Oh, yeah. Like the first the first day, I think I got there Wednesday, and I, the first um, event that I did was the AFAN roundtable on starting your own astrology group in your local area. And then I think you were one of the first faces that I saw that came in the room, and I, I, I had my little moment. I think I, c- I couldn't contain myself. I was like, oh, I'm a little starstruck right now. <laughs> like, So it was kind of, it was, that, and it, you know, it continued like that. You, you talk about trying to connect with you know, so many people, but when it's your first time, you're trying to make those connections with everybody for the first time. 
and you want to give them as much of your attention and establish, I don't know, some kind of intimacy with people. It's, it's sometimes it's hard to, to get to know somebody, but you want to kind of really like engage with them. And, and, um, that takes a lot of energy. Like when you go from one to the next at a big conference like this, cause you know, you can only make friends with so many people at, at one time, I think, you know, and really, really make a connection. Yeah. And, and that's such an important, I think that was something we all agreed on getting there and then re- being reminded that the social component really is like probably the most important part of these conferences for a number of different reasons. And that was actually something I was a little nervous about because I know it can be hard sometimes if you're new or if it's your first conference to make some of those connections and like establish some of those relationships if you don't already know some people that are there at the conference. So occasionally like I'd see you know, like a, like a younger astrologer sort of like walking around aimlessly and have this impulse to like grab them and start introducing them to other people um, and occasionally would, but I know that that's not always possible. So that was part of the reason we did the podcast event. What was it on Saturday night to try to get together a group of podcast listeners and introduce them to each other? That's, that's super important too, because I don't think everybody who goes to these things is as gregarious as I am. I mean, I'm pretty much like you know, I'm a Leo ascending, so I'll, I'll just go out and say, "Hey, here, here I am." You know, let's be friends. But but that's hard for a lot of people. And I think that events like that, where you can, where you know, that make people feel welcome, are really important. And I think that you you think you guys did a really great job of that. I mean, I I felt really welcomed, and I thought that was really gracious of everybody. You know, the, the astrological community is it is very welcoming. At least that was that was my experience. Um, but. We're all going to have our own individual takes on it too, you know? Sure, sure. So let's see. So when did you guys, did you guys get there early? Uh, I know Spencer was there early as I was. Lisa and I got there early since Lisa was a conference organizer and has been working on this for like four or five years. So this is actually a huge sort of milestone that had been building up in her life and that that you know we'd been talking about for quite a while. And we came in early in order to help with some things and make sure things got off the ground okay. Um, when did you guys get there, Kelly and Austin? Uh, I got in on Wednesday as well, actually. Um, it's something when you were talking, Spencer, it reminded me that if you've got the time and you can afford the extra nights in the hotel, getting in like the day before everything really gets going just to get situated and to start making some of those connections before the crowd numbers really swell is a really good strategy. Um, but yeah, I came in Wednesday, I met my friend Cassandra at the airport and we were, I mean, I had this side thing going on with her where we are friends from Australia, but we haven't seen each other in three or four years. And so even though, of course, we we're very excited about UAC, we were also just happy to be, you know, seeing one of our besties in the flesh, which we haven't done for a while. And yeah, that social component, I think is so critical. I caught myself saying at the conference, you know, you can always grab a lecture recording and listen to that at home in a couple of weeks. What I can't do in a couple of weeks is have those, what Kemp by calls those kind of collisions in the hallway where you just spark up with someone or you get into a conversation that's a bit impromptu, but really inspiring or thought provoking. And that social component I think is great. Um, Sorry, I'm just responding to a bunch of things here. But yeah, I got in on Wednesday and I stayed until the following Thursday. So I stayed till the very end as well. Okay, cool. And when did you get in Austin? Uh, about an hour after the opening ceremony. That's right. You oh, guys right. were delayed. I forgot yeah. about that. It was like a air airplane delay, or what was that? Yeah, in um, so in Seattle, um, 
they're they they're like radio control tower or whatever like went down for a little bit and it was back up um and so what it meant is that i think there were 22 planes ahead of us um and we had uh because the the takeoffs were backed up and so yeah we were 23rd in line so we sat on the runway for a very long time and that pushed us that pushed our landing in chicago deep into rush hour which mean which made our commute from the airport longer and it was just long enough to miss the opening ceremony okay well yeah that's too bad i mean it was as usual at uac they always do this like big video production and it was actually pretty energetic like opening ceremony and that's the first time that you you really realize the scope of the conference because everybody's there in like the largest auditorium in the hotel and you have over a thousand astrologers in the same room. So it was really breathtaking to see that right from the start and realize how many people were there from, from all around the world. That's what yeah, I heard. There was a tri- tribal, a tribal elder, you know, kind of sung us in as well with a, you know, a drum and acapella song. And it was, it was magical, surreal, you know? Yeah. And, and all of the speakers were introduced uh, briefly and there was like lots of like audience applause for like the different people that people are there to see and um yeah so it started off like really strong and and there was obviously a little bit of a build up before that like kelly did you do any of the pre conference stuff i didn't no i just came in for the fun um okay. i but the pre conference workshops run were all day thursday i think so thursday night you know some people were already deep into the learning by the time we had the opening cuz that was thursday night right yeah that was thursday night and so that was the the full pre-conference workshops happened on Thursday and then the orgs each did their own pre-conference workshop on Wednesday. That's right. So Spencer already mentioned the one that Lisa helped lead with AFAN, which was how to start and build a local astrology group, which is like a nice three-hour discussion where different people who are part of different astrology groups sort of shared insights about what's worked for them in their areas or what were some of the things that they've struggled with. And there were some interesting discussions about you know, how to continue to make local astrology groups relevant and useful in the age where, you know, you can go online and view a webinar or a lecture so easily and what role those will continue to play in the future. So that was interesting. And then there was also an ESAR panel, the like much anticipated, uh, poorly titled ESAR panel, (laughs) which was titled like, "Is, is prediction killing astrology? And that ended up being, I think like a six person panel. It was me, uh, Rick Levine, Chris McRae, Stephen Forrest, Sam Reynolds, and uh, oh my God, one more astrologer. I'm, I'm spacing out her name. Spencer, do you remember? She, uh, great, the, great the financial, financial. Yeah, I think that's oh, the word George, I was Georgia? Christine Skinner. Oh, Christine. No, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Christine Skinner. Yeah. And it was moderated by David Raley. That's that is not a good title. Um, it yeah. really sort of sets it up to be more contentious than it needs to be. Yeah. <laughs> it's like. Is this person is this person an idiot? Let's talk about it. <laughs> like is right. this you know, is this the stupidest thing ever? You know, let let you know, let's do pro and con. Well, Chris wasn't shy about pointing that out either. He yeah, was, uh, good, good. I I missed it. Um I don't know if well, I missed it emotionally, but I wasn't. I think there. I had to I think I had to calm him down in the in the during the break a little bit, like give him a pep talk and be like, It's all right, man, you know, you, you put those guns away, brother. You know, like yeah, I, I was a little worried that I came out uh, a little too strong in the beginning of that panel because I basically just did get up and say right from the start, I thought it was a stupid title and 
I was kind of tired of these misguided attempts at like marketing on behalf of ESAR where they do stuff like that or you know the presidential panel where they announced that they had Hillary Clinton's birth time but they weren't going to release it until the day of the panel in a, another misguided attempt at marketing and they would just like do stuff like that for kind of dumb reasons to draw attention or to make a spectacle rather than focusing on like the astrology or, or education or what's good for the community or something like that. So I sort of came out swinging at the beginning of that panel, but eventually I think it ended up being a pretty good discussion. Um, and, and there were a lot of good points made by Stephen Forrest, by Sam Reynolds, by Rick Levine, by just about everybody on it. And yeah, I, I did actually get a recording of it. So I'm thinking about releasing that at some point in the future. Nice. I was there. It was good. I, I thought there was a lot of good discussion that happened between between everybody. And I thought that, you know, I thought for the most part, everybody was respectful. I think that at the end of the day, uh, everybody cares about uh, astrology and its its uh, its place within society and its, its image to a certain degree. And I think that you guys discussed um, some of the the challenges surrounding that, especially with the media. I think that, you know, that was one of the main complaints was the the way that it was presented to the media. And, you know, as astrologers, we have to be real careful about how we're going to present the ideas because we're already kind of facing somewhat of an uphill battle of respectability. And I think that was one of the, the main things you guys were, you know, going back and forth about a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an issue where the, all the media sometimes cares about is going to be those novel situations where you have something like astrologers predicting a presidential election or something like that. And sometimes astrologers will try to cater to that by having conferences where they make that like the focus of the conference or something like that, like the ESAR presidential panel in 2016 or the UAC presidential panel in 2012. But there were obviously after the last election some legitimate objections that were raised of you know, is this serving the community well when things like that go awry? And I know Stephen Forrest penned a column where he very strongly like called out the notion of prediction being the primary thing that astrology is good for and really questioned whether astrology should be used in a predictive way publicly in that way. So one of the things I had to address right at the beginning in some of my opening statements was my position that astrology is inherently predictive. So asking the question of, is prediction killing astrology is kind of dumb because it's like asking, is astrology killing astrology? Right. Um, yeah. So there might be still legitimate questions about the appropriateness of prediction or, or creating a spectacle surrounding it in order to draw media attention and other things like that. But uh, yeah, the, the way it was set up was kind of weird. So I have a question, Chris. Um, mm -hmm. Did the point that even if you're doing psychological astrology, you are predicting um, a cluster of archetypal experiences as well as a variety of psychological issues from the person's birth, that predicting right. about a person's state is predicting, predicting about what things will feel like is predicting. Yeah. I, I mean, and that's basically what I said. They just, there's been this, because of the aversion to what they were conceptualizing, the type of prediction of concrete events, like a lot of the psychological astrologers in the Pluto and Leo generation in the 60s and 70s started trying to spin it as astrology is not about prediction, it's about character analysis, which they saw as somehow distinct from prediction. But it ended up going too far so that they'll use 
euphemisms sometimes like forecasting. And even though the word forecast is just a synonym for prediction, they somehow see forecast as being like conceptually distinct from prediction. And that was part of where the discussion went, where I had to very forcefully just be like, you know, that's still prediction. You're still making a prediction if you're trying to make a statement about a person's life based on the alignment of the planets at the moment that they were born. That should have no bearing whatsoever on who they are in the future, unless astrology has some predictive capabilities. So, yeah, just to give the Pluto and Leos a little bit of credit, it's also the Pluto and Leos who started the traditional revival. Yeah, some of them eventually. Well, well but I mean, uh, you know, Robert Hand and Robert Schmidt and Robert Zoller, apparently all of the Bobs. Um, you know, but like those guys are Pluto, you know, they're all uh, Demetra George. Yeah. Um, you know, these are Pluto and Leos too. Well, sure, I think sure. the um the focus away from psychological, uh, sorry, tr- predictive onto psychological, it, it actually started earlier in the late 20th century. Um, hang on. No, the early 20th century. I'm getting confused. I thought it had to do mm. with a court case, either Evangeline Adams or Alan Leo. There was some you know, no, legal yeah. fine line that came down yeah. where it's like you can do astrology if you're not predicting, if you're just doing psychological personality stuff. And that then did flavor the entire 20th century. Was it Alan Leo that had that court yeah, case? Yeah. yeah. I think they both had court cases. Yeah. Um, like, also, also, of that. also Rudyard. Yeah. It's like there were waves of that. Like Alan Leo pushed it towards character analysis. And then you have Rudyard, who comes in and pushes it and, and incorporates, he's one of the first major astrologers that incorporated Jung and started pushing it towards depth psychology. And that really took off with that generation of astrologers that came in in the 60s and 70s. And sort of modern psychological astrology was born. And the more psychological orient- orientation towards astrology really took off at that point and was cemented by the 1980s and 90s to the extent that that's what became like mainstream astrology is basically modern psychological astrology. Yeah, but just some of those issues surrounding prediction, surrounding traditional designations or distinctions like the distinction between benefic and malefic for for a while there was like a deliberate uh, sort of effort to reject yes. distinctions like that. Yes. So there has been a, a reaction to that which is the traditional movement over the past couple of decades and you know, we're starting to get to a point. I think that's one of the points that you raised, Austin, especially in the panel, where it's no longer like traditional astrology is no longer something that's on the fringes, but it's finally become mainstream in some ways. And UAC was actually a great representation of that because not only was this the first UAC where there was an entire track dedicated to traditional astrology, because at the previous UAC it was like traditional astrology was subsumed under the history track. So there was like history lectures and traditional ones. This was the first time there was a, a fully traditional track. So we're at a stage where it's become more mainstream. And not only that, but many of those lectures were actually full. Like the traditional lectures were very well attended at this conference. So it wasn't just like this throwaway thing, but it was actually a sort of popularly attended subject. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, like I said, um, we're not uh, in the process where we're trying to make what is dead live again. It's not a revival. It's revived. And now it's walking around and talking and, right. you know, dialoguing with other things, you know, it's in that there's actually something nice about that. Uh, what I, uh, there's something nice about that and that I'm seeing traditional astrology as a, and its practitioners as a whole, becoming less defensive 
um, because it was it was a tender thing. It was you know it was just you know it was it was a um, how should we say a vulnerable um, it was a, a vulnerable endeavor because it's like oh this thing's not quite ready yet. We found this piece. It's really interesting. But when something is in early days, it's vulnerable and you have to defend it um, from the inevitable criticism. Um, and so I think that some of that dynamic um, created more rancor between traditional astrologers and um, those of a more modern bent uh, in past decades. But I, as I see traditional just being alive and being a thing and being healthy, it can um, it can suffer bumping into other things without needing to protect it. And, you know, those of us who are interested in the tradition don't need to, or traditional um, material don't need to defend that choice anymore. No. Um, and, and um, I don't know, I've, I've seen that, I've felt that personally, and I've also seen that in other practitioners and communally. Does that make sense, Kelly? Yeah, totally. That there is less, and you probably notice this when you teach Austin, that Three or four years ago, if you started talking about a chart in a whole sign house system, 90% of your students kind of looked at you funny. Um, but nowadays, most people are like, yeah, I've seen my chart in this format or I'm familiar with it. I mean, that's just one example. And I think what you're getting at, Austin, is that, yeah, the traditional, it, it, the tradition is revived and it is now outplaying amongst all the other, you know, strands or strain of astrology. And there is less defensiveness because it's less vulnerable. I agree with you completely on that front. It's just it just is, and there's enough people using it or you know suggesting it that it's it's holding its ground. Basically, it's an equal or a, you know relevant competitor. Not that competition is the right word, but it has a place at the table. I think you're seeing a lot of young people, you know, really contributing to that too. I mean, I, I think that one of the things you're going to see with the younger generation of astrologers is they're not going to be as attached perhaps to their old ways of doing things. And, you know, being a little bit younger, they're going to be able to, I don't know, maybe make an adjustment. That's not true for everybody. Like this is, you know, there's individuals that are able to make those changes, but, you know, I'm seeing a lot of people in my generation that are really on board with, and their mind gets blown by the traditional techniques and, but they're, you know, willing to incorporate it and kind of that fusion is starting to happen. You know? How old are you? I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we're all about the same age. I'll be, I'll be 38 oh, this yeah. year. So oh, okay. Yeah. We're in the same. Kelly and I are 39. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was actually going to say pretty much, uh, I was going to speak to the same point that you just brought up, Spencer. Mm -hmm. One of the novel experiences for me at the conference was when I would talk to somebody who, you know, maybe been into astrology like two, three years um, you know, long enough to to go deep, but not, you know, not like decades old in practice. They would and they describe like what their initial influences were or what they encountered um, early, early days. And it would be like, oh, yeah, I listened to the astrology podcast with Chris. And so I've been exposed to all this stuff. Somebody told me that their second book on astrology was my book on the Deccans. And that really <laughs> helped them understand the territory of the Zodiac. And I, that really made me take a step back. I was like, what would that even be like? Because my initial right. my initial encounter, you know, the deck and stuff is something I came to 15 years in. And I was like, what would that even be like? Did it is that a was that a good place to start or a bad place? <laughs> you know, I just didn't right. I, I just made me think. I haven't processed that as well, that there's some people that I've met over the past year where where they're like, I'm starting to study astrology right now, and yours is my first book. That I'm reading on the subject, where the, my book on Hellenistic astrology is like their first book, and I'm actually curious 
what that's going to look like in like 10 years where you have a generation of astrologers where they're starting with some of the older texts rather than the newer ones. And there's some ways in which it's going to be both positive and negative because I think there's some good things from modern astrology, especially like counseling dynamics and things like that that were developed that I appreciate had been developed so well and refined over the past few decades that I wonder if you won't lose if you start with traditional right from the start. But it'll definitely be interesting to see how how that goes. You guys have discussed this before, though. The amount of resources that are available now for new astrologers is unprecedented. You know, I mean, there's like like your book, there's Austin's book, Kelly's going to have a book pretty soon, right? She better. <laughs> like, so, I mean, just the the ability to sit down with you know Hellenistic astrology or Demetra George's book or or whatnot. You know, when I first started, I had the only astrology book you'll ever need, yeah. quote unquote, which is the biggest right. misnomer ever. But I mean, it got me started on the path. But uh, you kind of feel, I don't know, I hesitate to say this, but this is kind of like like John Frowley, right? Where he's like the re- the real astrology, quote unquote. Um, and we don't want to like, you know, alienate anybody with that. But that's how I felt when I discovered the traditional. I mean, I think from my perspective. And this is coming from the Saturn. I'm a Saturn Virgo, like all you guys here, like uh, Kelly and Austin. To me, the techniques are really important. And the traditional system has a a beautiful symmetry and uh, an ability to have very accurate technical, you know, application. Um, But I think that, like like Chris has said, that the counseling techniques are, are super important and the delivery method from the modern system is very important to to maintain and to retain, you know, because we, we need to learn how to communicate these ideas in a way that is uh, constructive and, and empowering while, while also acknowledging the fact that we have, you know, I think that's the thing I, I understood better from traditional astrology is that sometimes there's just stuff that happens that is out of our control and, and we have to endure as well. You know, so well, and that idea is not exclusive to traditional astrology, although it is within the astrological field. When you go outside astrology and you're in the psychological fields or some of the psychotherapeutic fields, they have that understanding that there are things that you know bad things happen to good people, and there sometimes isn't a lot of rhyme or reason for it. And so it's it's always been interesting to me that there's a huge part of astrology that's just about, you know, anybody can have anything when that doesn't correlate with one's real life experience. And that was one of my pulls, if you like, towards traditional astrology is it seemed to be a little bit more of an accurate reflection of real life in that sense. Just I know that's a big topic and people can end up having strong arguments about it. But right. just from my own personal take, that that was a, a real draw for me. Well, and did any of you have any major chart placements that changed too? Because we all go through the existential crisis of the, you know, transition to whole sign house, you know. Uh, yeah. I personally had an 11th house son that transitioned to a 12th house son. And that was, you know, a lot to process yeah, although I don't want to get too hung up on this because I know this is a major, actually, like recurring topic that I come back to on the podcast. So I, I, I don't want to focus on it too much, um, just because there's we have so much to cover in terms of the conference. One sure. tr- traditional thing I did want to mention in terms of UAC that did happen. Um, somebody pointed out in our podcast event during the Q and A that there wasn't a lot of talks on horary, and they were surprised because they of their background in hor- horary, and they expected there to be more. And at the time, I didn't really know how to answer that because I hadn't thought about it or noticed. And it turned out that there was really only like maybe one 
horary talk yeah. that was on the list. But I think that ended up being an accident. It wasn't deliberate, but there was some astrologers that that were there where they, you know, horary was their primary thing, but they just chose not to give talks on horary, like Lee Lehman or Ryan Butler, or there were some astrologers who were supposed to talk but didn't end up attending, like um, Deborah Holding, who probably would have given a talk on horary, I assume, if she had been able to make it to the conference, but she had to cancel. So it was like a an accident rather than something deliberate. That makes more sense. I was really surprised to hear that. I was like, but Lee's here and Eve Dembowski is here and Ryan's here and Wade is here. Yeah. I was like the you know, the horary crew uh <laughs> was, you know, was present. They yeah. were represented. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree because I reflected on this after and I actually spoke to I think Eve and Lee about this and they just said either for whatever reasons they weren't currently in their current roster of talks, they didn't have something on horary, or they submitted two or three talks, which is what you usually have to do, and the horary ones weren't the ones okay. that were selected. And that's not – having been involved in speaker selection a little bit for this conference particularly, it's not always the topic that is the issue. Sometimes it's it clashes – in this case, obviously, there wasn't a clash, but sometimes it's like one topic just fits better than the other. Um, so I, I agree. It, I don't think it was deliberate. I think there's four or five different factors that go into, you know, do we end up with six talks on this topic or do we end up with no talks on that yeah, topic? Yeah, totally. Um, so that uh, actually provides yeah. a useful transition though into lectures. I didn't actually get to attend that many lectures because mm. I actually spent most of the week or a good chunk of the week either giving my own lectures or or attending Lisa's or uh, getting ready for the podcast event, or I also did like a ton of interviews um, I ended up doing something like 20 interviews or something like that that I posted on my YouTube channel. And I'll put a link in the description page for this episode. But as a result of that, I didn't get to attend as many talks as I would have liked to. So I was curious if you guys attended some talks and what what your favorite ones were that you remembered from the conference. Well, I mean, I was in a similar boat to you. I wasn't quite as busy, but I also prioritized getting drunk with lecturers over <laughs> attending lectures from, right. you know, I like that was to, just a personal preference. Often. <laughs> well, I, you know, there's a, you, get, you know, you sit down and, and get into it with people. It's really interesting. Um, I like that, you know, that felt dialogue. Um, one of the lectures that I went to that I, I liked and was also what, and I think is significant, um, was a lecture by, um, Kenneth, oh my God, I'm blanking on Kenneth's last name. Mm-hmm. Kenneth was our friend who we've known forever. Kenneth Miller. Yeah, mm-hmm. Kenneth Miller. Right? Miller. Oh, yeah, the curry yeah, yeah. and the feta. Well, and so that was a, um, yeah. it was like the least attended lecture ever. You should have had more people. Um, oh, but, really? Yeah, th- that was at the same time as mine. Otherwise, I would have been there. Oh, well, and, and he was funny. He was like, so, you know, um, you know, thank you for coming. Sorry, you, you know, sorry, you got turned away from Chris's lecture. Um, and you, I'm going to try to, you know, make sure you have a good experience, but he gave a, um, a very, uh, a very important talk as far as the timeline of astrology in our history goes. Um, he was basically, he basically had a very strong case, um, against Pingree's contention that the contents of the Yavana Jataka tell us that astrology started in the Eastern Mediterranean and went to India, uh, where, they, where it encountered some, uh, some you know, uh, uh, pre-existing elements, but the bulk of it went Eastern Mediterranean um, to, to the East, et cetera, et cetera. And that's a, that's a, it's an important linkage in the transmission story. 
And Kenneth really opened that up. Um, uh, he opened opened that up for debate and made a very strong uh, case against it. And that's like not, you know, it's a it was very it was an academic <laughs> lecture, but the implications are very important, right? Like that's talking about changing the way we tell the story of astrology. And I think there were, you know, I felt like there were a number of like small th- of what seemed like small things that will that we will look back on and say, oh, that was really significant. And I, it, it, when I was thinking about that, I was reflecting on various things that happened. Um, I thought about what we, uh, you, Chris, you, Kelly, and me said about the full moon, which, yeah, which occurred the during the UN, um, which, uh, yeah, which, which yeah, we're both the sun and moon, uh, were tightly conjunct, very important stars, royal stars, Antares and Aldebaran, and how that would suggest, you know, in that star, they're fixed stars, fixed stars have a staying power, the planets don't. And that events that take place during that time may have more of an impact on the future than they might seem. Yeah. And, and what a title. That's the way to title a, a this lecture. This in what my was feta it? or feta in my Why is there curry in my feta? Which is... Yeah. <laughs> it was titled, There's Curry in My Feta, The Development of Horoscopic Astrology in India and Egypt. And that's classic Kenneth, actually. He's often a very entertaining presenter who's incredibly, I mean... He equals, when I think of like some of the smartest people I know in astrology today, I think of Chris and I think of Kenneth is usually, I'm like. Thanks, Kelly. Who's, I mean, Austin, no, no. I don't know. I, have you seen Kenneth's library? Um, you know, I feel like if anybody needs to reference anything, just call Kenneth. He's got the book, maybe three copies. Different yeah, and so Chris, I know you weren't able to attend because you were lecturing, but um, Kenneth said that he's putting all that together in an into an academic paper, so you can, so you should be in that. That should be out soon, so you should. The history nerds uh, such as yourself should be able to review the various claims and disputes, uh, and uh, you know, um, perhaps have your perspective changed or at least enriched on that particular linkage. Yeah, I mean, Kenneth is actually one of the few interviews that I got to do. So I did a short 10 minute video with him about his lecture topic at UAC, which is on my YouTube channel. And I'm hoping to do a longer podcast with him about that because I've done a couple of episodes already about the transmission of Hellenistic astrology to India and just establishing that some sort of transmission took place. But it is interesting now hearing the pushback and the counter argument of saying, you know, maybe that argument was taken too far, and maybe there's more astrology that was original or indigenous to India that that's been acknowledged. And I like, I don't know if I'm I'm going to agree with every point that Kenneth makes, but he's making some good points in terms of pushing back and and having a more um, balanced view of the interactions between India and the West in, in that time frame in terms of their astrology. Yeah, and I think that's um, key not only for that particular linkage, but in general in thinking about history and transmission. I think there's a lot more dialogue than our current story entails. Um, that the the those exchanges are less unidirectional than they're currently. Uh, there were as. a couple of lectures. Can I sure. throw, throw a couple of shout outs because there were two that I really enjoyed. Um, people that I had not one I'd never heard of before, yeah. and I was just interested in the topic, and one who is on this call right now, Austin, who I actually obviously know, but had never heard you really give a lecture before. So Michael Ofek's talk on the Hellenistic phases of the moon or Hellenistic features of the moon was super interesting. And he's from Israel. So it was just amazing to have that international connection and 
you know, I was so excited when I met him in the lift. I just accosted him like people do at conferences. I'm like, oh my God, and you're doing Hellenistic astrology. I'm like, where are you studying? And he's like, just from the original source text. I'm like, great. I'm totally wanting to come to your lecture. Um, And that was great. So I only got to catch one of his lectures live, but I've got the recording of the other one, which was on light. Yeah. And everybody was raving about the light one. And that was actually an episode I did with him a year ago on the podcast. And it was like one of the best episodes of the podcast. It was a surprise because I didn't fully know where it was going to go when we went into it, but it ended up being a super interesting discussion. And I was glad Michael was able to make it to the conference and that his lectures seemed to be one of the big ones that a lot of people were recommending. Yeah, I, I missed those. Yeah, but see, I did that's get the thing. You got the private twice. after hours lecture, <laughs> but but I do, Austin. Yeah. I do need to commend you because your talk on I've already read your book, and I what I really I had a learning experience um, as a result of attending your lecture on multiple levels. I came to understand the importance of hearing a teacher that you respect present their material in a structured format. I got between having read parts of your book. And then hearing you present it, it just helped pull a lot of decanic work together for me. And there was some stuff, of course, in your lecture that isn't in the book, which is always extra juicy. And one of the big takeaways that I got from your talk is actually something that I can use in a session, which is telling people about their mutant superpowers, um, <laughs> which... <laughs> Austin gave me a mutant superpower reading in the lobby. I don't even know if I can. I if can it was after it. drinking hours yeah. started, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> he was talking about the the terms of. I think it was the terms of the exalted moon in Taurus. Do you recall this? Mm, well, the moon Austin? has no terms. Or I'm um, sorry, it was the. Oh, you mean just uh, terms, not in a technical sense. I don't remember. Um, But yeah, what Kelly's referencing is, you know, one of the ways that you can use decanic dignity is that if a planet is in a decan that it owns, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to have a global effect like a planet being in a sign that it owns. Um, But it does bestow um, great dignity in a very specific regard where it's really good at just that one thing. Um, and that's the, that's a div that, you know, that's not, that's a type of dignity, but it's a, it's a specific rather than a global dignity, if that makes sense. And so I refer to that as like, you know, some planets have mutant superpowers. They may not, um, they may not be generally fortuitous for the planets, you know, uh, significations, yeah. but they can, they've got this one thing. One, one of my favorite examples is Venus in the third decan of, uh, Aries, which it rules. Um, Venus in Aries is, you know, it's, it's detriment, et cetera, et cetera. And so you can see this in the charts of Jack Nicholson and Marilyn Monroe, where their love lives are not stable at all, right? Whereas if you have, you know, you have if when Venus archetypally, when uh, it has a lot of dignity, there's a smoothing out of relationships. And, you know, I think Jack Nicholson's been married like six yeah. times and Marilyn Monroe is legend. You could throw Elizabeth Taylor both... into that example who has Venus oh. in Aries. <laughs> Okay. And so, but with those people, uh, with the, uh, Jack Nicholson and, um, Monroe, um, they're incredibly charismatic and that's what like Venus in the third decan of Aries does. It gives, it gives the person crazy performative, um, uh, performative charisma. It just doesn't do any of the other Venus things necessarily. And so that's what I mean by like the, the mutant superpower um, dignity. Which I thought was a really cool thing because when you're doing client work, it, to be able to say something fairly specific is fantastic. So I, yeah, I, I really liked that. Um, I mean, there are a number of things from your lecture that I liked, but it was, it was fantastic. So I, I basically, if you've liked Austin's book, 
get the lecture because you'll just get even more. Yeah. And I was really jealous that you got to do that lecture, Austin, because it was like a lecture that you've done enough times that you like had it down to a T. You've like perfected that lecture and you went into the conference feeling pretty relaxed because you just had to do that like one lecture that you already knew, you know, from the back of your hand or whatever. Yeah. I, I can talk about Deggins. Um uh, and yeah, I was much more, I was much more nervous about our live event than I was about the, my lecture. I was very chill. I mean, there's always like, you know, nerves and adrenaline, you know, in the five minutes before you're going to start talking. But, um, yeah, I, I was much more nervous about our, our podcast event. Yeah. And once we finished that and that was over, I was able to relax a, mu- a lot more than I was in like the first half of the conference. Cause everything built up to that. And there was all these, um, different, you know, uh, things we had to pass along the way in terms of lectures that I had to get out of the way. And then finally that event, just because we didn't plan it out as much as we could have, we just wanted to let the discussion flow and we didn't know how many people were going to attend. It actually turned out, I've only found out after the fact. So I actually paid in order a lot of money to put like um, a little postcard size version of like the Planet Watcher calendar as inserts in everybody's bag that had an invitation and an ad for the podcast and an invitation for everybody to attend the live event. I found out that only like a few hundred of those got in bags and some sort of snafu happened and a bunch of them didn't end up getting into bags because they sent them back to me and there's like way more than there should be that were left over, which means that only three or 400 got used. So um, we had a really good attendance at the the podcast event that night. There was like 150 or 200 people, uh, but it actually we were expecting a lot more. And I think part of the reason that they didn't because the invitation didn't make it out. So that kind of sucks, but it was also still a really well attended event. Yeah. That, and it that was went a, off. it was a great crowd. Um, some of you are probably listening. Um, thank you so much. It was it was awesome. I I feel like everybody made a ton of space for us to do our thing. Um, mm-hmm. And it was it was great. it was really heartwarming. Actually, it was a little overwhelming in a good way, but it was a really. And I, I'm the same, Austin. I was way more. I still had a talk to give. My final talk wasn't till Sunday morning, and. I was so relaxed about that, but the live event was just, but it was amazing. People clapped. I was like, wow, this is, this is a very right. warm audience. It was, uh, it, was it was also nice to make jokes and That's then true. if they were funny to hear people laugh rather than like, sometimes I can get a laugh. I can get a laugh out of Kelly yeah. fairly regularly. It's less with you, Chris. Um, but like, you know, I'm, you know, the jokes are primarily for the people who are listening, the two of you being only two people who are listening to me talk. And so it was like, oh yeah, this is the other side of the dialogue that I imagine that I'm It is a dialogue. And it's, it's actually happening. (laughs) Yeah. And, And that was actually the positive side of that is I had been so nervous in the lead up to it that because I was sending out so many invitations that. It was just going to be a packed room and we we're going to have to turn people away. And there'd be a lot of people there that weren't even listeners, but were just exposed to the, for the first time. But what ended up happening is we had a core group of like 150 to 200 people that were actually like regular listeners of the podcast. And I think that made a huge difference in a positive way and feeling, yeah, just ha- having a very coherent event where there's a lot of good feelings and it was definitely like a new milestone in terms of what we've been doing over the past and few years. And then speaking of like conferences definitely. planting seeds. Yeah, so we we were so excited after that event and it went so well that we actually started discussions right after about maybe doing our own little mini podcast event to actually meet up with people and do a sort of an, an intensive or a retreat or you know, there's different terms for it. I, I think it's tricky depending on what sort of term you, you, you would use, but 
we are kicking around the idea of having people fly out to Denver for some sort of mini conference. And if there are podcast listeners that would be interested in attending some of that and would be willing to attend something like that, let us know and give us some feedback because we're seriously considering doing something within the next year or so. So it would be good to hear if, if that would be something people would be interested in actually attending. Also, yeah, and uh, structural feedback as well, because we were talking and thinking about if we did something like that, what would it look like? And so uh, I'm going to throw an idea I had out there so that people can respond. Um, I was thinking like maybe I, you know, the three of us would do a session where we were all talking together and then one of and then one of us would present and another would present and then the third would present and then we'd bring it back in and have sort of a discussion about all the discussions together again at the end of the day. Um, and there are various would be separate or in separate rooms. No, right? I, well, I was thinking that was my initial thought, but I think it would actually be better for us to listen to each other and have feedback and get sparked and be able to talk about that at what everybody presented at the end of the day. And it would right. also only yeah. require like one room track. rather than renting yeah. out a complex. Yeah. And I think that would work the best because that's what Dimitri and Ben Dykes and I did that at the first AFA traditional conference in 2011. And we were able to create our own sort of um, entire conference with just the three of us. And that worked out really well with a single hundred person audience. And so I sort of had something like that in mind as well for this. That way people don't have to have that issue like you run into at UAC 15. where there's like what, 13, 15 tracks going at the same time and you, you have a legitimate like crisis about choosing between like five different we'll lectures that, that you we'll want to see at once away from you. and having to choose one of them. Sure. So yeah, people give us feedback, what you think about that. And we might announce, we might have an announcement here before, before too long. Um, other In terms of other lectures, because I was trying to transition into that, obviously we can't cover all of the amazing lectures that we saw um, I did want to mention Lisa Scheim gave an amazing lecture on electional astrology, which is like the basics of choosing electional charts, which is what she does for us each month on the forecast episodes. So I definitely recommend checking that out for all of the lectures. They just announced the other day that they're all available now for sale on the UAC website. So I think each lecture recording costs like $15 or something like that, depending on which one you want. But you can um, find out more information about that on I the website, which is, UACastrology.com. Um, what is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. UACastrology.com. Um, any other lectures like really quickly that you guys would recommend as like your favorite lectures from the conference? I wanted to add that, uh, the quality of the lectures was ridiculously high and case in point, even the lunch, the lunch lectures where you've got kind of people who are, you know, I don't know if they were a secondary consideration or whatnot for the conference, but I attended a lecture by uh, uh, my friend Adam Ellenboss on the uh, the secret symbolism of the fifth house, which actually was a sneaky title. And he was uh, teaching us about angular triads and, and the movement um, w with those in the primary and secondary motion. So, you know, even a lunch lecture where you've got, you know, maybe a newer astrologer or somebody that, that I don't know if they got like the, the score or whatnot were of ridiculously high quality, you know, and that, I think that's probably unique to, to UAC as well. Yeah. The lunchtime, I heard a lot of really great things about the lunchtime lectures. Cause with, with that, it's more just overflow that there were so many astrologers from around the world applying to speak and there were limited slots that they couldn't get everybody in on the main tracks, but then 
they were able to open up some additional slots during lunchtime. And I heard a lot of those lectures were not only really good, but they were really well attended as well, which is which was great yeah. to hear. I heard a lecture by Bernadette Brady, which was fantastic on fixed stars. Um, so I thought that was a really okay. good. Yeah, she made one really interesting point about how the difference, you know, between planets and fixed stars is that with fixed stars, you you can't really remediate them. The power is sort of a little bit more absolute. Um, and some of that material I'd heard from her before, but there were some some new points. So that was another good one. And I heard very good things about Rob Hand and Richard Tarnas's lectures. Um, mm, yeah, that was a good one. And the fate Somebody, and free will uh, in contemplation. Oh, okay. And what was which lecturer gave that talk? Uh, topic, sorry. He was talking about um, Rob. The difference right, between Hemarmene, Ananke, and Pranoya, and the three different kind of types of fate. Nice. And he had all these algebraic uh, equations to go along with how uh, dimensional reality works, and that was. Pretty amazing, uh, you know. the uh, The fate and free will one was that that one blew my mind. So just being able to think about it in a a different way, you know, the hemarmene being the the fate that you maybe are born into that you don't have a ton of control over, a non k being the the fate that you create through perhaps your your ignorance, and the the pranoia being the the fate that you. The one that you have a little bit more control over with with your knowledge base and being able to kind of know where you're headed um, and reduce that that non k direction. I mean, that's my very oversimplified like understanding of it. But and, uh, and you attended Rob's pre conference workshop as well, right, Spencer? I did, yeah, and I was fortunate enough to have the, the master himself uh, use my chart as an example. Um, it was the, the it was difficult chart placements. Um, so he was kind of talking a lot about how to deal with difficult chart placements and, and kind of, you know, he talked a lot about the fate and free will and contemplation within that discussion as well. Um, and uh, my favorite Rob Hand story, I just have one little thing I need to add about Rob Hand is it took me like three times to get my book from him signed, like, because he'd always be in the middle of talking of something. And when he finally did, he shook my hand and he was like, you have now shaken the hand of hand. <laughs> like, gave me like, gave me like one of these like little things. And I thought that that's going to be burned into my, uh, into my memory yes. for a long time. So. Touched by the yeah. hand. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and you were having like crazy Jupiter transits uh, all for, during the entire conference. And, yeah. and you seem to just have a lot of really lucky experiences and fall. Everything sort of fell into place for you, starting with the the scholarship and winning the AFAN scholarship to attend the conference. Yeah, I was um, kind of the the completing piece to the grand water trine with with Jupiter and Neptune in you know Pisces and Scorpio, uh, and you know my Sun and Mercury were getting getting that grand water trine energy. Um, because your so, son's at like your son is the ruler of your ascendant and it's at like fifteen Cancer and Jupiter right. was trining that from like fifteen yeah. ish Scorpio and Neptune was over around fifteen, sixteen Pisces. Yeah, I mean I just I felt like I was I, I used the word the bell of the ball because it just was in the right place at the right time and uh it was a very special experience for me. Um, you know, my we talked about this in your workshop a little bit too. My my time lord of the year is Mercury and that that was getting a nice trine from all of those as well during the conference. Um, and, you know, one, one experience after another, getting to have my chart read by Rob Hand, you know, I, I wanted to give Austin a shout out too, because he signed 
the first copy of his book. Oh yeah, you actually got the very first signed copy. The very copy. No, that, first signed copy. That was an amazing. Was that was a great moment. Number one. That was yeah. I, I. I got you hadn't seen it yet. I got yeah. to the conference and uh, Kate and I took showers and took a deep breath and got ready. And the first, my first encounter with the conference was the ice cream social, uh, which took place after uh, the opening ceremony. Um, fortunately, it was also a bourbon social. Um, <laughs> and so I got down there and I was like, oh boy, and just, you know, everybody is here. And within, I think the first 10 minutes, Spencer came up, introduced himself and said, hey, would you sign this book? And it, it was the first copy of the Celestial Art, um, which I'd actually ever seen in person. It was the first one that I ever touched. Um, and so that was really exciting, uh, just, you know, as an intro to like happening in that first 15 minutes um, to be able to see it and to sign it. And, you yeah, know, it was, it was, you know, one of the one of the several magical moments that occurred at UAC for me. Right, because your your book actually came out at UAC so that there was a bookstore in the trade show and it was like the biggest astrology bookstore that anybody's ever seen with some crazy like 2000 titles or something crazy like that. And your book, Austin, uh, your publisher shipped a bunch of copies and it literally just came off the press right before the conference. And it had, I think what they send like 80 copies there and, and most of them are sold out by the end. Yeah. I think maybe there were like 10 ish leftover. Um, but it did, it did really well. Um, and it was it, that, that project went through some delays and this and that. Um, and, uh, I won't claim that those delays were intentional because I'm super psychic. But I will say that it was the perfect place for it to be born, to make its first appearance. Um, in addition to it being UAC, there was also, uh, as I've talked about, there was a, 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 I encountered um, a sea change in astrologers' attitude towards astrological magic. Um, people were just super into it, super curious, um, at, in a way that I'd, I'd never seen before. And so it was, it was great that the book landed in that moment, in that place. Right. And it's a compilation of essays on astrological magic. And that's actually, we're going to do an interview about it on the next episode. So we'll talk more about that. Um, yeah, but that was amazing seeing, seeing your book come out and being in the bookstore. I, I sent like a hundred copies of my book to the conference, which was very ambitious. But uh, I think I sold sixty or seventy, which I was pretty happy with. Uh, Demetra George announced her new book, so it's going to be a two-volume series on Hellenistic astrology. And they just announced a few days ago that the first volume is available for pre-order now, and they'll be releasing it uh, sometime in the next few months. So that's really exciting. Um, the bookstore itself was just amazing, and there was just so many titles there. I think that was one of the the highlights of the conference for many people. Well, I have one thing to add about Demetra's book, and I, I pre-ordered it this week. As did uh, I. If you pre-order it, it you might get a little, you know, your heart might jump a little bit when you see the actual price of it come across the screen, but that's in New Zealand dollars. So uh, you, you'll realize that later that your card has not been charged uh, $92 for her book. Uh, I think it was something more along like 50 or 60. So. I think it's like 49.99 American. Yeah. American. Yeah. 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 Which it's which brilliant. actually is 70 or 80 dollars in Australian and Canadian dollars. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So, uh, it's a big investment, but it's totally worth it. Yeah, it's going to be worth it. I've seen parts of the book and it's amazing. It's going to be an amazing complement to my book. Um and she's going to go into a lot of the areas that I could only briefly touch on 
with so much more depth that I'm I'm really really excited about it. So it's actually being published by uh, Aaron Cheek of Rubedo Press, who Aaron was actually the editor of my book. So I'm actually super excited that he's taken over that project, and I think he's going to do a great job. Yeah, where, so we'll do a follow up. Where on are that we on our conference point. chat um, checklist? Okay, so bringing things back, up, <laughs> I don't think I don't think I don't think we're going to get through like talking about other highlighting other lectures. I did want to say there was one one of the only major drawbacks of the conference that people noted was um, that there was some issue with um, a te- with the room sizes where a lot of the lectures were like overflowing to the point where they actually had to turn people away and people couldn't get into the rooms because there was. There were either too many people in the rooms, or some of the rooms were too small, and that did create some major issues because it wasn't just like once or twice, but it was like there was a lot of lectures that were like that. It seemed like, yeah, there were a lot. I know, um, Chris, you and I both spoke in time slots immediately after each other on the Friday morning. You were at the nine a.m. and I was the eleven thirty or whenever it was, and there were a lot of people i know in my time slot at 11am um we had to turn about 20 people away from my lecture and there were people that i found out after that actually got turned away from six different lectures in that time mm-hmm. slot which just means there was obviously a, a bit of a planning problem around size and room size and attendees i guess right and i and i honestly have no idea what happened with that i've heard a lot of speculations like you know, maybe that there was some people who were more of a draw, especially some younger astrologers like us that may have been more of a draw that they didn't anticipate, and other people that were more established that didn't draw as many people, and so they were put in the wrong rooms. Or this was the first time they had like a scheduling app where people could go on the website and like RSVP to which lectures they plan to attend, and. Um, the conference organizers, though, had to establish the rooms like two years before the event, and as a result of that, weren't able to incorporate that data that was up to date, showing you know that some lectures were going to be really well attended, and that some of those people might need bigger rooms that they didn't or weren't able to make some of those last minute changes, and so that might be something to take into account or to try to utilize with new technology in the future. Um, I kind of took this as one of the things. One of the things I was always worried about with UAC for a few years now was the electional chart they picked for it had this really prominent applying Venus Saturn opposition. And in the original electional chart, I was actually more worried about that because the electional chart was supposed to have Libra rising, so that Venus was going to be the ruler of the ascendant and then was going to be applying to that opposition with Saturn. And that didn't end up being the case because the time was changed somewhere very late in the process to be like. Um, Sagittarius rising or something like that, but the Venus Saturn opposition was still there, and ultimately I ended up feeling like that lecture room situation might have been part of not a side effect, but sort of connected with that Venus Saturn opposition, and something about that dynamic between. There were some people that really did have a hard time where they really came to the conference to see specific lectures or lecturers, but then like got to the room and then got turned away because the lecture room was just packed and it was. You know, a fire yeah. hazard or was, or was overflowing, sorry, so they'd have that? to go somewhere else. I think that happened with Demetra's, you know? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I guess it just speaks to that traditional revival, too, because I, I know that I went to both of Demetra George's talks and they were flowing out into the hallway and Austin's, too. So, I mean, like, I think that was that track in particular was, was very well attended. Yeah, and my master of the Nate. Go ahead, Austin. Oh, I was just confirming, I was saying definitely. 
Yeah, uh, definitely the, the traditional talks were very well attended. My first talk on the master of the nativity or the overall ruler of the chart was standing mm-hmm. room only. But even some of the modern talks, like I went to Rick Tarnas, Richard Tarnas's first talk, and that was like um, in what I thought was a surprisingly small room, and it was just standing room only. And I ended up actually sitting on the floor up front with like a group of people. So even some people that I would otherwise expect to be in pretty big rooms weren't necessarily, and I still don't fully understand what what happened with that. So uh, I, I want to just speak to that Venus-Saturn opposition because I was also yeah. nervous about that. And I was like, oh, God, it's going to be emotionally cramped. And it's just going to feel like work the whole time. I'm going to hate it. And I'm going to have to behave. But anyway, um, it was it was not my experience, although, you know, uh, both of Chris, uh, Chris and Kelly, both uh, both of you reported having a similar experience to me, which was a lot of tension and stress sort of yes. leading up um, for the first several days of the conference, you know, up, up to our live podcast and then right. a release from that. And so for us, that was pinned to an event. But that was yes. also when the Venus Saturn opposition was basically perfect. And so I wonder if other and was interesting is that after Venus started departing, from the opposition to Saturn, it started sliding uh, sliding into a lovely grand water trine with Jupiter and Scorpio and Neptune and Pisces. And that's very much a like, you know, tension and containment into release and flow. And so I wonder if other people had a similar sort of uh, experiential curve. Was that Saturday night? Was the when that was Exactly. Yeah. The twenty well, the twenty sixth was the day. podcast event, and I think the Venus Saturn opposition was exact. I mean, my personal experience of that was sitting in the AFAN suite uh, after hours and constantly watching the clock and wanting to party with everyone and and talk more and then being like, oh, sorry, got to go catch my train, you know, and, you know, just having to, you know, the responsibilities versus the the enjoyment, you know, and that was, that was, that was what happened for me. Yeah, definitely. And that was really interesting to me seeing you struggling with that for like, as a first time, like conference goer. Or seeing other people have to balance that between the, the desire on the one hand to be there for the educational component of the lectures, which start you know early in the morning at like nine a.m., versus wanting to stay up each night and socialize, versus like having to, wanting to get some sleep that night so you don't feel like a wreck the next day. And there were some people who did that really well. Like I was really impressed by it was really cool meeting uh, Gaia El Khan. And she was really good or was really dedicated. She was like, I'm here, you know, primarily to learn. And so she was really good about not staying up too late and like getting up each morning, going to those four lectures a day, right in a row. Plus, I think she did some lunch lectures and some pre and post conference workshops and stuff like that. And and eventually later in the conference, she was hanging out a little bit more at night, but um did a pretty good job balancing like, you know, what she was there for to accomplish in terms of the educational component where Whereas some of us, I think we're we're staying up pretty late and we're we're not doing as well by the end of the Certainly conference. Certainly, I think after the Venus Saturn. Sorry, Austin. <laughs> oh, it's okay. Yeah, yeah I think Kate moon. and I shut it down at least four nights. I I was good the night bef- the nights before I had to perform. Um, like I didn't shut it down um, uh, on my uh, the night before my lecture, but I think we were the the last two standing at least three or four nights. I think Monday night got a little, a little cray. That was the uh, yeah, well, the night before the full moon in the morning the next day. Yeah, you could definitely feel people going off the rails on that on that evening. 
Uh, yeah, because there's a, there's always this like sense of desperation once it starts getting later in the conference, and you realize that things are like winding down, and people start staying up later and yeah, later. Yeah, that's happened to us. And, I remember to yeah. Chris and Austin going back to Norwalk, you know, which feels like forever ago. I mean, that was the other thing for me, just with you guys, was this is the first time the three of us have all been at a conference since we started doing the podcast. Um, I know I've seen like each of you different individually, but yeah, definitely, I think. This all feels to me like when you're coming to a conference, you have to have a bit of a plan, you know, on what nights am I going to stay up late? On what nights am I going to kind of crash early? You know, so you kind of have to know going in because once you get there, it is a vortex and you can easily get pulled into, you know, other scenarios or other situations unless you've got a little bit of maybe your own inner satin saying, look, no, I really want to do this thing now. Come with me or I'll meet you after. Um, but it's it's how you manage yourself while you're there. Is, it's, right. it's a bit of a skill, I think. I, I think, Chris, even you mentioned that after a few nights of only getting four or five hours of sleep, that if you actually get eight hours of sleep, you feel even worse. So you, I right. think your body almost adjusts a little bit. I mean, you do get a little punchy by the fourth or fifth day of that, but uh, I think your body does adjust a little bit and you get sort of in the groove and you get used to it, you know? Yeah, and there's like an energy that's coming off of the crowd, and I'm I don't know I don't know how to explain that, but the, prana prana from the universe, right? Just yeah, it's like I don't channeling. I don't know if it's like the intellectual engagement. I don't know if if it's something I don't know what it is, but um, there's definitely something there that kind of pushes you through and like animates you more than you would be otherwise. But at the same time, it's also funny because because everybody's so sleep deprived, nobody's like exactly functioning in the way that they might normally. Uh, which is an interesting sort of side effect that I always forget about until you're you're there in the middle of it. So anyway, so other things, um, lecture things. Kelly, what are you gave two lectures, right? I did. I gave a talk on Friday morning called Special Signatures in the Natal Chart, which was a look at um, a combination of traditional ideas to do with strength and placement and phase and things to do with planets. So basically people got a takeaway, a bit of a checklist about how to organize what is really significant in a chart. And I loved um, that I used cake as a metaphor in mine, which Austin, you also did too. Our layer cakes looked a little different, but we both used the same idea. Uh, and then, yeah, I believe yeah. mine mine was the layer cake of capitalist exploitation, and mine was just literally a rainbow colored cake that was layered. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was fun, but yeah, that, and that actually, I got some really good feedback um, about that talk on Friday morning, which was quite flattering really. And these were the largest um, size lectures that I've given. I've done talks to larger groups before, but, you know, conference lectures, it was certainly larger than I expected to be speaking to. Um, Although I knew because the app told me I had, you know, enough handouts for everyone on the Friday. So that was really fun. There is a lot of energy and you just, that's just so enlivening. Um, And then Sunday morning I did a talk on aspects and activation. So really just a deep dive with some traditional ideas about where the uh, theory of aspects comes from and how that can really change the way we work with aspects in the chart. So very kind of just practical, hands-on stuff. Um, But it was great. And look, I had Electron Friday, a podcast event Saturday night, and then my last lecture on Sunday. And then I, but then I was done. And then I did feel that Venus Saturn, I, it kept me together and I got my sleep and did my work and then major social mode, which was great. Yeah. And then you got to relax by the end, but the last yes, few days. Very relaxed on the last few nights. Unfortunately, I kept Caitlin and Austin company too late in the bar. You're welcome. Yes. 
And Chris, because you did two talks, you mentioned your Master of Nativity, but you did a second one as well. Yeah, so I did the the pre-conference stuff with Esar, and then I did my first talk on Friday, which was on the Master of the Nativity or the overall ruler of the chart, which is something I I first researched because somebody uh, paid me, Dr. H of Regulus Astrology actually paid me to do this research project back in 2011 where I reviewed like every Hellenistic and every ancient text for the first like thousand years of astrology to find any references to this mysterious concept about the overall ruler of the chart that I could find. And I did this whole write-up back then in 2011, but I never got it together to publish it, and it ended up being too much to put in my book, so I just saved it. And this was the first time that I was kind of like unve- unveiling some of that research. And yeah, and it was good finally giving that talk and I'm looking forward to to getting that material out there more in the future. So there was that talk and then I gave another talk towards the end of the conference on the issue of the the origins of the house division debate in ancient astrology and how and why there came to be all these different forms of house division and what we know about the early history of house division at this point. And I was actually reminded at some point during the conference why Two years ago, I even submitted that talk because one of the things that's happening is because some of these debates, I I never anticipated this, but it's been kind of surprising that due to the revival and the sudden popularity of whole sign houses over the past few years, where it's becoming so popular that there's some pushback on that within the traditional community from those who prefer quadrant houses. And one of the things that's happening is there's this like, it's kind of like a rumor that's going around that somehow Holstein houses was only invented in the past 20 years and it didn't exist as like a major form of house division in ancient astrology. So that was one of the reasons I decided to give that lecture to outline the evidence for all of the different forms of house division in ancient astrology and what we actually know today. That way the discussion can kind of proceed from there. So that was my Sunday talk. And then I did a post-conference workshop a few days later on annual That's right. You weren't done yet after then. Yeah, I didn't finish until Wednesday. And then that was like a full-day post-conference workshop. And then finally I left the next day and flew to Toronto for a three-day workshop, which was which was kind of a, a lot. And I was just beat by then. I think you came and saw me at the end of that weekend, Kelly, on yeah. Sunday, and I was just just dead at that. You point. were definitely holding it together, even though you. I kept feeding you coffee to keep the the life coming through. Um, yeah, that's a long, yeah, it's a long trip. Much a lot of output. Yeah, it was hu- huge um, and hugely draining, but it was definitely worth it. And it was nice visiting Toronto after that, visiting Canada for the first time on business, and giving. A talk for that very lovely local astrology group, which is astrology. Yeah, you had a really good sized group. I thought the room was full, basically. Yeah, 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 definitely. So I, I, I will think twice about doing like an intensive immediately after something as te- as intense as UAC next time. But it was still a good trip. That's fantastic. All right. Um, other miscellaneous things that we need to touch on about the conference. So. Let's see, I'm just looking through. There was also the other thing that happened is the Regulus Awards occurred on Sunday night, which was the night of the banquet. So on with these conferences, or at least with this conference, there was like one big banquet night where everybody was in the same huge room for dinner. And then at the end of that, um, each of the astrological organizations that sponsored the conference gave out one 
um, sort of community service award. And actually, our, our very own Lisa Scheim won the AFAN Service Award, or she was presented with the AFAN Service Award for her role as the presiding officer of AFAN over the past few years. And there was a few other people that won service awards. And then after that, there were sort of combined community-wide um, what's called the Regulus Awards, which were, were for different ca categories like community service, discovery and innovation, education, professional image, and so on and so forth. Um, so that was a big, big night as well. Yeah. It's like, I don't know, astrologers prom, but also astrology Oscars as well, all kind of rolled into one. I thought it was a beautiful moment though. And, uh, the lifetime achievement award winner, uh, Michael Earlywin, right. Uh, slept through his lifetime achievement award. He was in that was hotel. hilarious, uh, right? Uh, which, so at the, uh, at the end of the night, yeah. that was like the final award given out, and he was actually there. He was there at dinner, but then he got tired because he's, he's like an older gentleman, and he left and went back to his room. And so suddenly, his phone started ringing. At some point, he's back in his room, and he's he's being you know paged because they're trying to give him the lifetime achievement award for for the Regulus Award, which is actually probably one of the biggest awards you can win in the astrological community. And he he's the creator of one of the first astrology software programs, which is Matrix Software, or it's actually the first personal astrology program for like the personal computer. You know, so, in, in his defense too, though, he, he had set up a booth in the trade floor and was basically giving readings away all day. So he he was just working, you know? So uh I think he earned he earned that nap and uh you know, he's done a lot of amazing things. He's the the creator of the All Music Guide as well. Just to, you know, I, I have a past life in, in professional music, and that's a, a wonderful resource as well uh, for for musicians as well. So he's done a lot, a lot of things. He's very well deserving of that reward. Yeah. So I think um, he said later that that um, he ended up being presented the award. He's the first winner to receive the award in his pajamas because it was like Michael Luton and Ray Merriman came up later that night to give him the award in his hotel room. And then luckily at the closing ceremony, he was able to make a few statements um, just thanking people and, and yeah, for the award. So he, Michael Earlywine won the lifetime achievement award. The other winners were Richard Smoot won the community service award uh, David Cochran won the Regulus Award for Discovery, Innovation, and Research. Stephen Forrest won the Award for Education. Um, Tim Tarakar won the Professional Image Award, which is awesome. I just interviewed him a few episodes ago, and that's one of the reasons, just because he's done such an amazing contribution to the community through his publication, The Mountain Astrologer Magazine. And then uh, the final one was Deborah Holding won the Theory and Understanding Award. And that was the category where it was like a packed category with a bunch of traditional astrologers, which was me and Benjamin Dykes and, and um, James Holden and Adam Gainsburg. And nobody quite knew because we were all competing for that award who was going to win, but that was actually made a lot of sense. And it was great that she ended up winning. Yeah, it's it's kind of exciting to see who gets nominated, which is a huge honor anyway, in the same way that you know being nominated for an Oscar is a big thing. Um, so it was congratulations, Chris, to you and to Ben um, and to Adam. Has Adam been on the show with you, Chris? Have you done an episode with Adam Gainsbourg? Uh, not yet, but we talked at the conference about doing one about his work on observational astrology and reintegrating some of that 
sort of ancient sky watching component back into modern yeah, practice. Super interesting. Yeah. So it was weird. I was really nervous leading up to that because I didn't know how it was going to go because I thought that everybody in that category had done some major work and major achievements in the field. And so we were all going to be splitting the vote in different ways, especially the the traditional astrologers. But it was just on the one hand, while there was some, you know, certain amount of disappointment, it was also like a huge amount of relief on my part when they didn't call my name because I was going to feel bad if I got up there and won as the youngest person on that panel because I almost felt like people like Holden or Deborah Holding or Benjamin Dykes have done so much more work than I have at this stage in my career and have accomplished so much that I was going to basically just spend most of the time accepting the award, talking about their accomplishments if I had won anyways. So there was this like sense of relief once that didn't necessarily happen. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I would have been happy with any of those people winning. You know, it was really like you said it was it was a stacked category. Yeah, but just, you know, Holden's been translating texts since the 1950s and he published the best book on the history of astrology, history mm. of horoscopic astrology as well as all those translations. Ben Dykes, of course, I always joke is like a, a machine who was sent back from the future to translate all of the existing Ancient astrological texts from Arabic and Latin, and he's published over like twenty books at this point. Uh, Deborah Holding's Skyscript site is like a huge resource for everybody, and she's done um, an immeasurable amount of like good work in the field in terms of promoting uh, traditional astrology and astrology in general. In addition to her book on the houses, which is in just about every astrologer's library. And then Adam Gainsburg, of course, has done some amazing work on, like I said, observational astrology and reconnecting astrologers with that observational or visual component. So yeah, it was a pretty it was a is a very competitive category, but it was nice just to be considered in that group of like amazing people. It's good company. Well deserved. All right. So that was towards the end of the conference. Um eventually I mean, there's other stuff that occurred. I didn't, because we did the podcast event the same night, I didn't end up attending until the very end the silent auction that was organized by the American Federation of Astrologers. But when I did get there, I learned that um, Ben Dykes actually won through the silent auction a first edition copy of William Lilly, which I was really blown away by um, seeing that. It was literally like, and it's much smaller than you think it's going to be. It's actually a relatively small book. Even though it's so thick, uh, but Ben won a copy of Lily at that silent auction, and it seemed to be a pretty fun event. Yeah, yeah, I was. You go, Austin. Uh, go ahead, no, no, go. Okay, yeah, I was surprised. I was like, I didn't know that there was stuff that good on offer. I don't know for some reason. I just kind of assumed it would be dumb stuff that I don't care about. Um, but apparently, that was not the case because uh -uh. we we you know I after the podcast event. I, I went to the auction as well and I saw Ben and Ben was like, check this out. And it was like in this protective cage. And I was like, oh, I had no idea. Right. Yeah. I wished I had gotten a picture of him with that, but I was pretty surprised. And I think he didn't end up actually putting down that much for it. I don't think he, if we had been there, I think Austin, you said there would have been a bidding oh, yeah. war, but Ben is lucky that we weren't, we were not there at the time. Well, and I mean, I mean, who's who's speaking of deserving? Who's you know who's a better keeper for that edition than Ben? Sure, sure. Yeah. So um, that looked like it was a pretty 
well attended and good event. And then other events that occurred. I didn't go on the cruise. There was like some sort of cruise that occurred one night. Did any of you guys go on that? It was a huge cruise with like 600 people on the Friday night. Um, I opted not to go because um, I was still in the work phase of the conference for me and just didn't want to be restricted by somebody else's time schedule at that point. Yeah, yeah, I went. I went to the to one of the suites, like the A fan suite, instead of the the cruise. I thought it was a uh, that was fun for me, getting to know all the the young people and whatnot. Yeah, so A fan had a suite that was open every night of the conference, where people could go up and meet and talk and have some like drinks and refreshments and stuff. And that seemed to be a good place where people uh, congregated each night. Uh, there was also an AYA suite, like the Association for Young Astrologers had a small suite and one night they hosted a party there to launch the second volume of their their journal which is titled The Ascendant and that was a great event to be at to see them carrying on that tradition which which they actually started the first volume was published under your, your tenure as president right Austin Indeed I played a very large role in making that happen as did uh Jen yeah. Zard and Nicholas Civitello and it was, and both uh, both Jen and Nick participated in creating that second volume as well. Um, and it looks just fantastic. I was, um, I thought we got lucky with the first one, and I didn't know if they'd be able to replicate that success simply because some of it was just good fortune. Um, but it's it's just amazing. I was I was uh, I I was and am still quite impressed. Yeah, definitely. They've definitely improved and expanded on what they started with the first one. And it's not only like a great collection of articles in the second issue or the second volume of the journal, but it also um, just looks really good. Like their design and layout skills have definitely improved. So you can find out more information about that at their website, which is youngastrologers.org. And I think that they actually just recently in the past month also launched their new website, which looks amazing. And they've just been promoting some of the stuff that you get with membership recently, which includes um, access to a whole library of different MP3 downloads of different lectures that astrologers have donated to the organization. So check that out at youngastrologers.org. Um, let's see, what else happened? Were there any other like nighttime events that I'm overlooking? There's the silent auction, the cruise, there's the opening ceremony. There's movie of course. Night. Yeah, did you? Did anyone go to that? I didn't actually go to movie night. Like originally, they were supposed to launch the Tarnus movie or some portion of it, but that ended up being canceled. And I think the only movie that was shown was uh, an astrology, a, a movie about astrology in China. Right? Yeah, I missed it. You missed it. Yeah. Did Did either uh, you two go? No, I didn't. I was way too interested okay. in talking with people. Yeah, I think that. I think that was the common thread amongst all of us. We're probably like the almost the worst group then to like pool of you know, what happened at the conference. And actually for that reason, I would love it if there's any listeners that attended the conference that feel like it to post in the comments section for this episode on the podcast website, like what your experience of the conference is and some of the questions and topics that we're talking about here. I just love to hear from people about what, what their experience was and what happens and what their favorite parts of the conference were and other things like that, just so we can hear some more uh, perspectives. One of the Let's other see. things that I noticed at this conference that I really was so heartened by was the amount of people attending a conference for the first time. Um, there's see, I spoke to the organizers towards the end of the conference and they did confirm that there was a much higher percentage of first time conference attendees than usual. Uh, and then 
anecdotally, I also had this experience that I felt like there are a lot more younger astrologers. So a lot more people in their twenties and thirties and forties attending. And that was amazing to see. Uh, so that was really exciting. One of the things I really enjoyed. Did you guys observe anything similar or notice anything different? Uh, I, I observed yeah. the same. The Pluto and Scorpios have landed. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. There, there was a huge generational shift at this conference where on the one hand, it was really striking that like there was a number of names of like major astrologers who weren't there or had to cancel or couldn't attend um, you know, at the last minute. Like Noel Till wasn't there or or didn't attend. Um, Alan Oaken and other astrologers from that sort of generation who weren't there, or th- I saw some Facebook posts afterwards of people acknowledging or saying, like, this is probably going to be my last UAC. Yeah. Um, which was really kind of sad. Yeah. Really Chris touching. Turner from Australia, who's been heavily involved with astrology, both in Australia and um, internationally for many, many years. This was her, I think she's in her 70s now. I think I don't want to mistake, but she she's based because it's so far and because she's getting older. She she knew this would be her last time coming to the states. So it, there was sort of that bittersweet. Oh, we, we're happy to have the newer people come in, but we don't mind. Like, can everyone just stay around a bit longer? But I guess that's the transition, really, that's happening. Yeah. So it's like on the one hand, you had that and and that feeling of so many astrologers, some older astrologers, either not being able to make it or or this being perhaps their last conference like this since. You know, the next one might not take place for four or six or however many years it might take. Um, but then on the one hand, there was obviously more at this conference, more than any other conference, this huge showing of younger astrologers that were in their 20s and 30s and 40s. And that did seem to represent like a huge sort of shift in the astrological community and, and that I hadn't seen at any previous conference. I think, though, that that, that was the tiebreaker I used for lectures was uh, if I had two lectures that I wanted to go see, was which one was the older astrologer? Because you, you you can't take for granted that you know a Rob Hand or whoever. I don't mean to single him out necessarily, but uh, all these folks that are getting up into their seventies and eighties that you know they may be able to attend the next time around. And I think you want to make sure that you catch them while you can. You know, and and I think that you know. On some level, we can't take anybody for granted, no matter the age. But I think that the odds start to get stacked, and you know, in the favor of going and seeing the older astrologers and paying those respects and whatnot. Yeah, and that was definitely heightened at the very end during the closing ceremony, where one of the things that they did before the official closing, when again everybody's gathered together, who's left at the conference in the in the largest auditorium, and there was a, a memorial for astrologers who have passed away since the last conference in 2012 and there was just a lot of names and a lot of notable astrologers and just you know there there's something very very touching about that uh yeah it was a pretty intense moment that was really yeah, it, emotional. Was, it was beautiful yeah and the pluto talks the each generation getting to come up and talk about you know, building bridges between the next, I thought that was really powerful too, like in Pluto fashion, you know, just um, hearing from each generation, um, they each got up and, and did their their talks at the closing ceremony. And I think that should be uh, recognized too, you know. Sure. There, were, there was one person from each Pluto generation. So one person, uh, I think it was Grace Morris, who was from the Pluto and Cancer generation. There was one 
person who got up and said a few things about their generation of Pluto and Leo, uh, Pluto and Virgo, Pluto and Leo, and then finally there was a Pluto and Scorpio. And yeah, that was a really striking moment because it did give you this sense of like continuity in the astrological tradition and this real sense of being part of an actual tradition or lineage that was being carried on as a result of everybody showing up there and being in person and having that shared moment. Indeed. Definitely. I, uh, I'm i really glad that the the dead were honored. I think that's very important. I personally think it could be a little bit more celebratory of life. I felt like the framing of it was look at what we've lost and that's a part of it. But you know, many funerary traditions are more celebratory and I'd like to celebrate who people were and what they did that, that we got them at all, that the world, you know, got to have them for a while. Loss is important too, but I, 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 you know, if I was the master of ceremonies, um, which is a responsibility I will hopefully never have, um, I, I'd just like to, you know, I'd like to raise a raise a glass and 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 you know a toast to the dead. That's a beautiful point. Yeah. Well, and it was just it was nice to see the people honored in any way at yeah, all. Yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, and I was actually I got there like late, so I was sitting in the back by myself, and then Kelly came over horrible. and sat with me, which I really appreciate it. <laughs> Because it was a super like intense like experience, just like seeing all these names flash by, and then many of them like you recognize as people. Yeah, because the there has been some younger yeah. astrologers that we have lost, and in the last six years, because they do this at each UAC, and one of the feelings mm-hmm. that ceremony or ritual memorialization, if you like, gave me was this sense of belonging that we will acknowledge you even in that final passing. And it really helped tie together that feeling of community for me that we will, because it's the night after the Regulus Award. So I couldn't help but think about the juxtaposition between celebrating people in the peak of their careers or, you know, later in their careers where they've been serving the community versus then still taking that time to acknowledge those who are no longer with us. So I, I did find that to be quite striking. And I did not think you should sit alone, Chris, through that. Um, <laughs> so, Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I appreciated that. And yeah, that was an intense moment. And then, of course, there was the generational thing with the Pluto generations, and then finally just the closing and wrapping everything up. And and Laura Nalbandi and the primary conference organizer who put so much work into the conference, you know, finally closing it down. That was huge, just because I've seen a little bit from behind the scenes how much went into getting this conference together and how. The discussions for it go all the way back to you know after the last one ended in 2012, and then there's a lot of um, there's some like acrimony between the organizations about scheduling the next one, and it was supposed to happen in 2016, but then it didn't happen. And then the fact that they eventually pulled it together and got all of the organizations to cooperate was you know nothing short of amazing. So yeah, it was it was definitely a great event, and I think everybody overall had a had a pretty good time. Um, there was a huge. There, it seemed like there's very large contingents of astrologers from both Turkey and China, and that was some the something that a few people noted there, or, or a lot of people noted there in terms of the the international component of the conference. Uh, did you guys notice that? Yeah, yeah. I, I in particular noticed the um, uh, the Turkish contingent. I, I think on the first or second night, I think it was the first night. I, I ended up. Speaking briefly with Barish Ilan, uh, whose work I've followed online, I was really excited 
Uh, she's done a bunch of really interesting stuff about astrology during the Ottoman phase. Because, you know, we have a tendency to stop talking about astrology uh, in the Middle East after um, after it skipped or after the transmission finally gets astrology to Western Europe. Um, but they continue doing astrology. Um, and it's it's been a little Eurocentric of the researchers to just be like, well, that's not important anymore because now it's in uh, now it's in Europe. <laughs> but it was still happening during the Ottoman years. And so I really uh, I think she's providing us a very valuable contribution. Yeah. And, and the three main people, the three main teachers in Turkey, I, I mean, I know there's many, but it seems like there's three main schools that are really doing a lot to promote. And all three of them were there giving talks, which was you know, Barash Ilhan, who you just mentioned. There was also Owner Dozer and then um, Hakan Kirklubu, yeah. uh, who's another you know great teacher from Turkey. And a lot of their students and associates came over. So it was cool to meet a lot of them in person. Um, are there other major things? I feel like there there might be other major things that we're forgetting or glossing over. Did you guys have any other major thoughts or like takeaways from the conference? I mean, as a first time person, uh, just not to take it for granted. I think that um, it is a special thing to be able to get that amount of people who are on a similar wavelength together, and. Uh, it doesn't happen all the time, and it really is very important to get face to face with your, I guess, your tribe or whatnot, or, or people that understand you. I mean, I don't want to get too tribalistic about things, but I think as astrologers, we spend a lot of times um, isolated and not being able to, always having to censor ourselves. And I think that not having to do that for a week and, and making those connections and building that community was something that that isn't replicated every day um and that's something i've tried i've tried to carry over into coming back to my own community um you know i took that afan roundtable seriously and we've started our own kind of astrology group uh here in uh, southeast michigan with, with some younger folks and um going to be meeting up with them pretty soon here and um I think that's going to the carrying that spirit over and getting involved. I think that one of the things you guys kept saying on your podcast was how do you get involved and, and contribute what you have to offer? I think everybody has something a little bit different to offer. And maybe like for, for me personally, maybe I don't have the, the, I don't know, the, the decades of, of historical research or whatnot. But one of the things that I feel like I am good at is bringing people together. And I tried to, to, offer that, you know, and, and validate and affirm and bring my enthusiasm. And I think, um, you know, getting involved in your own local conferences too. That's something I was doing when I got back home to Michigan. Um, we were talking about the Great Lakes Astrology Conference, which happens in my city. And uh, there were some, you know, you and I talked a little bit about what, what could be improved with that or what is, how, how that is going. And um, so I reached out to them and, and, doing social media for them and trying to put them on the map and whatnot. Um, and I think that that's, that's something that everybody should try to take to heart is if you see something that needs to happen, speak up and, and get involved, you know, um, especially in the astrological community. Cause you know, I think no one's going to do it if you don't, you know, I think that's one of the things that I really took from that. Yeah, definitely. There's a, there's a tremendous amount of, work that needs to be done in events like this often only take place through the efforts of volunteers 
and astrologers banding together and and you know devoting some time towards help making community events happen. So I was hoping that one of the takeaways that people had from the conference, because a lot of people leave these conferences like energized and wanting to do something with that, and that people, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see people like yourself, Spencer, who are then channeling that into some of their local communities, like connecting with local astrology groups or starting local astrology groups or helping to get involved in in promoting or planning local astrology uh, what meetings or or conferences or what have you, like you're doing with the Great Lakes Astrology Conference. Austin and Kelly and I are trying to channel that a little bit into possibly doing our own event here in the near future. Um, but also the astrological organizations need volunteers. Mm. I mean, they need board members who spend years helping to plan events like this, and that's the only way that things like this happen. So I'm hoping that some of the newer generations of astrologers who are coming in now and having some of these experiences do get involved and start to help out because that's the only way that we're going to continue to be able to have events like this as some of the older generations sort of take a step back and some of the newer newer ones hopefully step up. Well, and getting and integrating the younger community too. I mean, I just have one final plug if I'm allowed. Um, I, I spoke with the organizers of the Great Lakes Astrology Conference, um, Richard Weber, uh, who, who runs the conference. And this is taking place on July 12th through the 16th in Ann Arbor. Um, and I was able to negotiate with him a discount for members of the AYA and AFAN. Um, so if you're a member of the uh, the Association for Young Astrologers and the Association for Astrological Networking, um, you can call Richard and get a, a $100 discount off the cost of the, the conference. So making it accessible for young people, too, I think is really important. Um, and one of the takeaways that I'm you know trying to, to help is, is at the end of the day, my motivation is I want to see all my friends again, you know, and see, see everybody and make it a place that people want to come to and, and recapture a little bit of that feeling that we had at UAC, you know, in our local areas too. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that's exciting to me. And I'm glad people are, are doing that and, and getting involved at this stage. Well, and to so. speak to a similar connected point, one of the things that I hope people came, the, the attendees came away from UAC with is the sense that it's totally worth it to go through all of the time, money, and expense to actually get together in person. The internet does not, it, it's not a replacement for, for physical co-presence. It's just not. And, right. Absolutely. Yeah. And that was something I was nervous about and excited that many people that who, who heard about the, because we, we promoted the, it and mentioned and like hyped up the conference so much. I was always hoping that people would get there and still and find that it was worthwhile in the end. And I feel like the majority of people that I talked to did feel that. And that was kind of gratifying to hear because I, did, I didn't want to, I was hoping there wasn't a situation where it's like we hyped it up and then somebody got there and didn't have a good time or something like that. But instead it seemed to be yeah, one of the, the things on, on that line that I experienced. And I wonder if other people experienced too. Um, is that I saw like the little, mm, the little frictive bits, the little nodes of internet contention um, that breed very easily in that alienated environment. Didn't it wasn't just that beef got squashed at UAC. It's just the beef, a lot of beef just dissolved. Like it's not even, it's not real when you're around people and speaking to them rather than keyboarding. And it's not that I have huge beef with people or, um, at all but i just saw like there were it was like the 
people who didn't know how to connect or thought they were on opposing teams on Facebook just kind of were together. There was this dissolution, uh, I think, of a fair amount of unnecessary friction within the community. Sure. I mean, there was opportunity for that definitely more than there can be at any one, any other time, because you're literally like in a hotel with the same people for like a week. And while you can avoid each other, sometimes you can't, you're going to be like in the same room. So in some instances, like when I had things like that, I would just try to confront it head on by going up and saying, we have stuff to, to talk about. Why don't we hash it out? And so I actually had a very long discussion with Glenn Perry in the bar in the middle of the hotel one night where there was like a hundred people's eyes like on me for the entirety of this conversation. It was very awkward, Yeah, I was one of those people productive. watching. We were, yeah. uh, we were making up what you and Glenn might say. We were like, fill it, fill. We're all three fill, of you basically watching the, the conversation. Yes. So Chris yeah. says this and then, oh, I think, you know, anyway. Um, it, it, well, so, it was weird because you guys were sitting at this like heightened table in the center of the lobby area. I mean, you you couldn't. And then as soon as you saw who was talking, it was like, okay, well, we can't interrupt this conversation knowing some of the backstory. But we can gawk. It was, it was like we, gossiping. Uh, the gawking for yeah. sure. Sorry, oh, yeah. Austin, I think I spoke over you there. Oh, no. Yeah. It's gossip in the lunchroom, you know, but it was entertaining. And, you know, I think you carried yourself really well. You had a couple of those conversations this that week, I think. Uh, I think you and uh, Wade went back and forth a little bit on some stuff. But I think at the end of the day, you humanize the people that you're discussing the ideas with. And I think it's connecting, you know, that that heart center with with the intellectual nature of things, too. I think that's really important. I mean, at the end of the day, these people are, are you know, human beings and, you know, relating on our, their shared humanity and, and love for astrology rather than the the things that the, the technical kind of details that divide us. And, you know, and being able to raise those issues in a respectful manner and in a way where you're, you know, sharing a meal together and like looking each other in the eye and, and things like that, that, that can't be discounted. I think if more of our conflicts were resolved over a meal, I think we'd, we'd all get along a lot better sometimes, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, like you were saying, Austin, I think it's easier for people to get into these like protracted, like abstract arguments with people that last for longer and to forget the sort of humanity on both sides when you're just having like an internet argument that's lasting forever. Whereas at a conference, you realize you're talking with another individual and sometimes that allows you to, to humanize the other person and maybe squash some of those those beefs that you had other times in, in a unique and much quicker way than you might yeah, be able, the, uh, able to Yeah, the intensity, um, the amount that is transmitted in an in-person dialogue is just so much more than you don't, it, not everything is, how should we say, reduced to the written word, right? We have the spoken word, which is more primal. And we have all, and we talked about this during the podcast, you have all the body language stuff and the person's energy, you know, there's just mm. so much more um, going on there. Definitely. Yeah. And so much that you're otherwise losing most of the time when you are communicating with other people online, even friends, or even because we're focusing on like debates or people that, you know, you've had arguments with, but even um, the thing that people kept kept saying is, you were connecting with people and and I think you said something at one point, Austin, right? Like that's the other oh, piece the, the, of you. The rest of the person. I was talking about the meeting rest. the rest of the person. Yeah. Like there's somebody right. who um, 
uh, who I knew online was very outspoken and critical and sharp. And then I met him in person and that's there too. But there was this person also had like a very soft, mellow, unobtrusive, like listening vibe to them. And it's like, oh, that's what it's like when they're not talking. Right. You don't you don't know what someone's like right. when they're not but, talking on the Internet because all you get is the talk. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. And that's huge. And so you meet the rest of the person and then truly establish like connections with people, which in some instances will last for, for decades. Um, so, and, and that's part of what we talked about in the podcast event in the last episode. So I guess we don't have to go into that too much more. But yeah, I hope that for a lot of people that attended, they got that experience and then can share it with others and can sort of validate some of what we've been saying over the past year in the buildup to this conference about why meeting up in person still has an important component to it that you can't replicate by attending a webinar or you can't replicate by just being in a Facebook discussion forum. But there is something legitimately valuable and, and unique about meeting up in person. And that's one of the reasons why these events are important and people should should try to attend them when they can. Yeah, it's worth the hassle. So yeah. Good. Did you feel like it was worth it in the end, Spencer? Everything you had to go through to make it there? Oh, absolutely. It was a uh, a life-changing experience, probably a, a peak moment um, in in my life so far, and I and I'm not that's not hyperbole. Uh, it's I, I feel really like I had a you know just very lucky, like you said, and the beneficiary of some very wonderful uh, energy, but also just uh, some welcoming energy from the community. I, I think that. I felt people open their arms to me, and that was I, I, almost unexpected too. I didn't really expect that kind of reception from people, but it really gave me a lot of faith in the future of astrology and the friendships that we've made. I, I made a joke with one of my fellow AFAN scholarship winners, and I, and I actually don't think it's a joke, but I was like, we were watching the Uranus return sash people walking around with the purple Uranus return sashes, you know, the, and I was like, you know, I want to see you uh, walking around and us giving each other awards here uh, with our Uranus return sashes. And it was like a, a, a pinky swear that we made between the two of us. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold them to that. <laughs> like, you know, I was serious. So I, I think there's been lifelong friendships made. And that, that to me is the most important thing. Um, we can learn about astrology and things like that, but we can learn about astrology from books and from videos and things, but making actual human friends and connections is what's really going to sustain those studies, I think. I think that at the end of the day, the way I do astrology because I want to connect with people and I have a genuine human interest in people and their lives and um, getting to know other people that feel that same way is really powerful. Yeah, definitely. And and recreating that sense of, of lineage of you know, different generations of astrologers meeting up and like passing the torch from one yeah, I generation heard, to another. Um, so um I believe the first night that I was home after the conference, when I slept in my bed for twelve hours, I had I was doing as everyone else was, doing a lot of processing of what happened at the conference. Um, and in addition to you know, a variety of shifting and vague dream thoughts. Uh, there was one vision that I woke up with, and it was this sense of astrology composed of all of the astrologers as a whole and as a coherent mass that together, you know, together taken as a whole had a substance and 
reality to it, a weight that would, um, because of that, because of that weight, naturally change, deform in a good way the time period in which it existed. And it was interesting because that that sense of this this mass that I had in the dream, um, it was you know it was composed of all the astrologers, and there was this sense of um, how should we say spontaneous assembly um, through individual choice rather than the way that one might assemble an army where their people are conscripted and there are particular formations, um, that, uh, you know, uh, that are required and imposed. It was much more this spontaneous and, um, willed sort of, mm, mm, falling into coherence and that that uh, almost accidental coherence having substance and weight to it it was um it had a there was a there was a a triumphant feeling to it um like uh, uh i described it before as it's like the end of the it's like the end of an epic movie where you know the whatever the protagonists are in the final battle and then all of these allies show up when least expected it was like oh everybody's here and everybody's on the right side. Uh, it was a nice feeling. It was a nice dream. And I don't think it's um, idle fantasy. I don't think it's the only layer of the truth or real. But I think that that was there that 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 happened uh, on some level. Yeah, definitely. I like that. That gives you a real image of you know astrology as like an an organism or an entity partially composed of all of those people that are practicing it and then suddenly seeing all of them come together spontaneously in this huge gathering or something like that and realizing that astrologers have been doing that for literally for centuries or for thousands of years and that that's how astrology grows and develops and is propagated from generation to generation and culture to culture and century to century there's something really breathtaking about that when you see it stretching back you know, yeah, history there's both for that um, temporal um, sort of vertical through history coherence, and there's also the the people who are doing it now coherence. Um, you know, it occurs to me that although it may not necessarily have been the stated aim of the traditional revival, um, you know, it's it 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 has rerouted us on a community level with the fact that astrologers have been around for God knows how many thousand years. And that there's, you know, there's the technical rooting, and I think we're all very excited about that. But there's also, there's also an, um, a very real honoring the ancestors, getting reconnected to and repairing the lineage that happens as a, a lovely side effect of simply reading old books and, um, <laughs> and practicing those techniques and thinking about what it was like to be, you know, Vettius Valens, you know, rummaging around Egypt trying to get the real shit. Yeah, I mean, in my workshop, one of the points that I made is like I've discovered that one of the chart examples he use he uses in his book when he first introduces annual perfections is it's for this year of his life when he was thirty four years old when he got in a shipwreck and then he ran around getting the charts of all the people that are on the boat and then demonstrates how each of their charts like show this major event in their lives that year. Um, but the the realization that he was only like thirty four years old when this happened and I'm thirty three. And you sort of imagine yourself in that position, and it's very sort of takes you back and makes you realize that astrologers have been doing many of the same things for thousands of years now, and that we're still very similar today and have many of the same impulses today um, as they did two thousand years ago. And that applies to things like chart work or just studying astrology, but probably 
even many of the same dynamics that come up in terms of astrologers getting together at conferences and meeting and talking and connecting through their shared love of astrology, there's probably something that's run through um, the centuries that's sim- the same or similar in terms of that as well. Yeah, and also some of the uh, the smack talk. You know, like you can <laughs> you can see the eye rolls when you uh, when you read Valens, and he's like, "Ugh, some of these people and the way they do astrology, it's the worst." Or like Al Baruni. He's like, yeah, some people think this. That's not correct. Let me tell you how to do it right. Like there's, you know, it, it's it's right. slowed down and more textual, but that same like contentious astrologers um, arguing to death, tiny but crucial technical distinctions, like that's not a new thing. Right. Yeah, human totally. Nature. Human nature. Human nature. Yeah. And yeah, human nature being the same or very similar for a very long time. All right. Um, did you have any final thoughts, Kelly, about the conference other than just needing to like get some sleep still from it and like recover? Um, it's mostly my voice. I got this stupid cold um, that Laura had okay. um, or the air in the hotel. I don't know. Um, look, I think you guys have just made some really beautiful points. Um, I think the, the word that keeps going over in my mind is the humanization of people that even if you know them, I mean, I know you guys in person, that's how we met, that's how we ended up here, but we don't always get to see each other in the flesh and there is that extra dimension. So I'm really just repeating what you guys have said, that that is just a huge takeaway. And for me, I feel like the conference is sort of still ongoing because I attended very few lectures in person, but I have a list of almost a dozen lectures that I really want to hear the recordings of. So in some ways, it's like the ongoing UAC experience because that's going to take me through the next couple of months just to, you know, savor each of those and um, enjoy, you know, still getting those insights from that wonderful event. Yeah, totally. I saw one person say that that's basically what they're going to be doing this summer is listening to some of those lectures. And that was the only way I was able to not drive myself crazy trying to attend everything was just knowing that I could get the recording afterwards and listen later and just kind of enjoy yeah, the experience while I was there. Yeah, Cool. All right. Well, I think that might be a good note to to end on. So so thanks guys for for joining me for this this recap. Um, I'm glad that we got a chance to do it once we all got a little bit of sleep. And I know we're still still getting caught up, but um, yeah, I'm glad we were able to talk about and process some of what happened that week because there was just so much that happened, and I wasn't sure if we were going to be able to cover it all. But I think we were able to to cover a Absolutely. lot of ground here. Yeah, I was excited to uh, to meet up with you all and. Uh kind of go over it and share my experience and compare notes, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it was, it was a wonderful experience. And so the idea of revisiting it sounded wonderful to me too. Uh, That's really, thank you all for just creating some space just for me here. I have, it's a real honor. I have the utmost respect for all three of you and you guys are doing unbelievable work and really reaching a lot of people. So, um, I wouldn't have been at UAC if it wasn't for all three of you. So thank you for that. Awesome. Well, yeah, and thanks for sharing your perspective as somebody that was new through through your eyes and just watching your experience of the conference gave me a really interesting experience and perspective as somebody who had his first conference experience more than you know thirteen or fourteen years ago. It was interesting seeing almost reliving that through your your eyes, seeing you experience it for the first time. Yeah, it's a. I what can I say? I I just feel extraordinarily lucky and. Uh, I know that this experience is at UAC in particular is going to carry 
my practice forward for many, many years. So I, I, I think that uh, once-in-a-lifetime thing to have your first conference, right? So hopefully we just carry that enthusiasm and, and hopefully my experience has helped people to maybe not, not fall into the trap of getting jaded and, and you know, see things from that beginner's mind because I think we all have something to offer whether we have experience or whether we have a beginner's mind and um, just that enthusiasm, you know? Definitely. And uh, yeah, and for those that weren't able to make it, there's going to be a lot of other conferences. There's already other conferences scheduled for this year. Uh, so I think Soda is taking place sometime. What What is that, like October, Kelly? October, yeah, in uh, Buffalo in New York. And actually, Barish and I are giving, a, we're each giving one of the pre-conference workshops at that conference. So nice. uh, yeah, it's a smaller conference, so different scale to UAC. But I mean, their tagline is where you won't get lost in the crowd. And uh, that it is smaller, so we, you know, it's a little bit more intimate. Um, yeah, so that's that's October. I think the GLAC conference is coming up in yeah. July in Michigan, Ju- July twelfth through the sixteenth in Ann Arbor at the uh, the Holiday Inn uh, out here. So we would welcome. There's still spots available, and we'd welcome people. I would love to see some of my UAC friends there. So sign up, and uh, yeah, let's uh, continue the good vibes. Awesome. And I know that uh, Dennis Harness is hosting a Vedic Astrology Conference in Sedona sometime in October or November, I believe. And then I'm sure there's going to be, it hasn't been announced yet, but I'm sure there's going to be another Northwest Astrology Conference in Seattle probably next May because that's usually when it is. Yes. Um, And then NCGR have announced their conference for August of 2019. Oh right, so NCGR is going to do a conference next year, and I believe they announced it for it's going to take place in Baltimore in August. Yeah, I'm hazy on exactly where. I couldn't. I wasn't sure if it was Philly or Baltimore, but it is on that side. That makes sure. sense of the map. And then there's rumors about the Internet ESAR International Society for Astrological Research is also planning a conference for 2020, and they're trying to choose, I think, between like Denver and Philadelphia. Oh, so, maybe that's where I got Philly from. Yeah, the NCGR will have the details of that conference on their website already because they were promoting it a little bit at UAC. Right. Uh, And then, of course, we're going to be talking about doing our own little mini conference event, potentially somewhere here in the near future. So if people are interested in attending attending that, please give us some feedback and let us know, and we'll definitely think about doing it. All right, guys. Well, thanks a lot for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm glad we got to have this this uh, recap and sort of process everything that happened. And I'm sure we're still going to be processing it for a while. But um, yeah, it was really fun to hang out with all of you guys last month. And I hope we we meet up and do it again in the near future. Definitely. Yes. Thank you. Cool. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks to all of our patrons for your support of the podcast, because without that, I wouldn't be able to keep doing this four episodes each month. We wouldn't have been able to do the podcast event. And just thank you to everybody, of course, who attended that event because it was a huge success largely because of the people that came there to participate. So um, yeah, so thanks everyone for listening. If you listen to us on iTunes, make sure to give it a good rating to help other people find the podcast. And I think that's it for this episode. So thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you next time. Mm